Hello, friends. It's Chapo, Monday, June 6th. Uh, back again. Back at it. Boys, how's it going? Not bad. Um, it's been a great birthday month. Um, <laughs> some would even say birthday half year. Um, we, we had a pool day yesterday. Yes, that was fun. We had a wonderful time. Okay, we, well, there's, a, there's an app in... Uh, I don't know if it's local to Los Angeles or not. It sort of feels like it would be, but you like you rent someone's pool for like 10 hours and it's the type of thing that I would think is really stupid. And then you do it and it's yep. wonderful. And you're like, Oh can my you, God. Can you use their pool. bathroom though? No, that's a bathroom Lee. <laughs> so it's only, yeah, gotta, only that's a separate transaction. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, gang, uh, uh, congratulations to Felix on his uh, birthday month. Uh, he's back now. And uh, you know what? Let's let, let's kick things off today with a little update on a, uh, a sort of a, a forgotten Chapo figure. Uh, he's back in the news now. It's uh, it's Milo Yiannopoulos is basically starring in the remake of that movie with Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway, where he becomes an intern at the age of 50. Uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, he's now interning for Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, that'll uh, dissuade. All, that'll get rid of all those accusations hanging around a bunch of teenagers. Uh, the far well, right is there, tro- Mark Foley. Remember <laughs> Mark the- Foley, folks? Is he? Is this? Is this like ultra immersion style of straight conversion? Oh, I'm I'm gonna work for the hottest woman in Congress. <laughs> and my my attempted my attempted straight conversion will surely stick. It's like dropping yourself in a country you don't speak the language. <laughs> Sink or swim, hot woman. Sink or yeah. swim, yeah. Sexiest lady on earth. Yeah. This is uh, coming courtesy of the Daily Beast. Just a, just a little, little quick start to this show here. It says, the far right troll fell on hard times, but he is trying to rebuild his career as an intern for Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, far right provocateur and former Breitbart editor Milo Yiannopoulos has found a new gig. Capitol Hill intern for MAGA firebrand Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yiannopoulos, 37, posted to tell... Oh, he's th- okay, he's 37. So he's, getting, <laughs> he's filling out that resume. Um, Life just beginning. <laughs> level level thirty seven. Um, you know, I I wish I was thirty seven again. I wish. Um, you know, I turned sixty three this weekend. I wish I had taken that internship at thirty seven. I wish I had rolled the dice on myself and restarted my professional career. Sort of, you know, working for a woman who kind of looks like a bull terrier. <laughs> 37 years young, posted to Telegram on Monday morning a photo of what appeared to be a newly issued congressional badge placed atop a Louis Vuitton briefcase. I've finally been persuaded out of my out of retirement, wrote the British right wing media troll. But my skills are a bit rusty. So the best role I could land was as an unpaid internship for a friend. Pray for me. He added, mummy always said I'd end up in government. Um, Retirement is certainly one way to put it. That's what, that's really one way to put like no one wants to be seen with me for the yeah. last five years. Uh, yeah. So he says, uh, Yiannopoulos didn't respond to a request for comment, but in a statement provided via her spokesperson, Representative Green confirmed to the Daily Beast that Yiannopoulos is interning in her office. Uh, the quote is, so I have an intern that was raped by a priest as a young teen, was gay, has offended everyone at some point, turned his life back to Jesus and church and changed his life. Green told the Daily Beast. Great story. Love it. Great. Did, 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 did she mean like was gay, like he converted out or like, oh, he was like being gay last week. <laughs> I being just uh, 
I, I just, uh, for, uh, you know, a, a press release, I just love, I love any press release that begins with, was raped by a priest as a teenager, and then ends with, great story. And always start with your best foot forward, <laughs> I think. And also he says, uh, I like when Elsa says, uh, mummy always said I'd end up in government. Uh, at the end of April, the hate-spewing ideologue, once a ubiquitous MAGA figure until he appeared to defend pedophilia in a YouTube video, attended a green press conference and, after it wrapped, was escorted with the congresswoman into the Capitol building through a members-only entrance. Ooh. The provocateur no longer attracts much attention, but last year he declared himself to be an ex-gay and an advocate for the discredited practice known as conversion therapy. I treat it like an addiction, he said last March, referring to his homosexuality. I hope people will support and pray for me. If for no other reason than they share my delight at the prospect of Milo Yiannopoulos furiously and indignantly railing against homosexuals for sins of the flesh. Yeah, I mean, like the ex-gay thing he does, it's like, I don't know. I, I, I obviously don't take it at face value, right? It's just like you, you co constantly have to up the ante both as a conservative, a social issues conservative, and uh, as a media personality. Like if your thing is always outrageous, you always have to you have to set up new boundaries and, and cross them. But it is like it is depressing because it's just like how much how much money do you think he has made off of the ex-gay thing? Like nine hundred dollars. Yeah, I mean, not really like a fraction of the money he made off the gay thing. The gay yeah. conservative thing. Yeah. When he was doing the gay conservative thing, uh, the Mercer family was just like giving him blank checks to, you know, have a tour bus and go around the country like doing speeches about Triglypuff and like <laughs> Gamergate. <laughs> and now it's like now he's like doing some form of crowdfunding. I don't know. I'm kind of interested in the uh, the parallel ultra conservative crowdfunding space. But it, all, very few people are making real money doing it. Well, I mean, he's certainly not making any money working for Marjorie Taylor Greene, if this art article is to be believed. He just wants to be around, you know, uh, now that he's ex-gay, he wants to spend all his time around just sort of a, just a fabulous woman and diva and dedicate his life to supporting her. Do you think she'll, like, roll him into the polycool thing that she's doing? <laughs> that's, part, yeah, well, that's part of the therapy. That's what I mean. That's what he says. Pray for me. That's what he's referring to. Pray that I enter the polycule. Talk about straight convert, straight conversion therapy. <laughs> that would about that would about do it for me. Imagine like okay, you, I don't, have you guys ever been in a CrossFit gym? Uh, no, I've walked past them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, CrossFit gyms are often called like you know, CrossFit Gulosity, CrossFit uh, Ultimatum Core. And they could they call them boxes in the in their world because that's literally what they are. They are just like boxes like they should be storage units pretty much. And there's no like it's not like a big, nice gym where there's a ton of like nice central air blowing stuff all over the place and ventilation. It literally is just a box where people do the worst pull ups ever. And it's like it is kind of like an all you can eat buffet for staph infections. <laughs> and just imagine one day you're getting done doing the worst pull-ups ever L listening to what would be the opposite of a golden era, like a, 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 a wood era, wood era, little Wayne doing those <laughs> shitty pull-ups, all, all the cut little Wayne songs about being an alien. <laughs> and Marjorie Taylor green is standing across from you wearing a new type of ponytail that 
is doing something previously unforeseen with her eyes, sort of giving herself epicanthic folds through the height of her own ponytail. And then she's just spread eagle and you're 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 going to drill her CrossFit style. And she's like, it's OK. My husband likes this. Well, I mean, sign me up. Sign me up for being gay after that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, best best of wishes to Milo uh, and his uh, his new career as a congressional intern um, and, and also in his career on being uh, not gay anymore. Uh, best of luck to him. We're praying. Uh, I mean, I hope he starts collecting a paycheck. So I hope he can, like, you know, level up from being an intern to, like, you know, an actual congressional staffer. Yeah, I don't really I don't see why she isn't paying him as one. Is there like yeah. some background check he needs to go through? Well, he's probably, probably. not an American citizen. So, oh, yeah. Probably a little bit of a loophole, I would imagine. Um, all right, moving on from uh, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene and Milo. I guess we'll be have to. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, Ukraine and uh, why it matters for the left, at least according to uh, former Bernie foreign policy advisor Matthew Duss. So, like, I don't know. I mean, I, we haven't talked about Ukraine in a while. It's just uh, nobody has. Know, We're over. Yeah, it. it's just uh, seems like the war has grounded to a pretty brutal stalemate. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, uh, do you guys have an idea of like where things are at with this right now? I mean, it just seems like we gave them forty billion dollars, and we're just like, and also it just seems like I know I know the Boris Johnson government like actively is like trying to stop the Zelensky government from like negotiating anything based on concessions to the Russian government or the Russian military. Um, but like, yeah, it just the, the war just continues to go on. But I don't know. That I found this was an odd piece in the New Republic by Matthew Duss because it goes back and forth a lot of like, it's just sort of a, uh, it's hard for me to like discern from this, what he actually wants here. Like what he actually wants from the left other than kind of uh, like this sort of vague solidarity with uh, Ukraine against the, the Russian invasion. But I, mean, I don't like, think it's, he... it's all very uh, like qualified as like, yes, I know America's screwed up in the past and you know, like this shouldn't be used as an excuse for like why America's good again. But uh, you know, like I think we need to come together for Ukraine now. I think you can never think of uh, the audience. We talked about this before. The audience for this kind of thing as like some imagined, you know, left that's going to do something based on it. It's the audience's potential bosses, people in the media, people. It's to make them know that he's on their team and that he he understands, you know, the greater priority of 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 maintaining, you know, the American project. And he's not going to sacrifice that uh, for any uh, leftist notions. Yeah, it reminds me of another Dust piece. This one from, oh God, almost like 10 years ago. It was Dust's review of, uh, do you remember Max Blumenthal's book, Goliath? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. It was about like the, you know, hard right ethno-nationalist uh, turn of Israel, which, you know, obviously always an ethno-nationalist project, but more outward in its image and its uh, elected governments. But um, that it's sort of interesting contrasting that review with you know this another i'm normal piece as we call them uh because in that in that piece dust writes the classic liberal zionist line which you could still do in 2012 which is like oh i mean like this um completely accurate criticism of israel uh gets it wrong because uh what's that famous saying it's not acting like israel has a right to defend itself but of course, I'm against the occupation, which could mean anything, <clears throat> could mean nothing. Um, it is interesting who gets to have legitimate security concerns. I would like to see if Dust still stands by all those statements on Israel. 
I would imagine that he would try to weasel him his way out of it because liberal, the past few years with Israel since Trump have been very tough on liberal Zionists. Yeah, but they've just they've just gone elsewhere. They've just gone to other parts of the world, uh, hectoring parts of the left for not being serious enough in agreeing with the State Department and I guess preventing some type of national liberation through posts or not being enthusiastic enough in their support. Well, yeah, the headline is why Ukraine matters for the left. Opposition to U.S. adventurism is principled, but this is Putin's adventurism and the left must stand firmly against it. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, okay. like, who on the left? Yeah, sure. OK, I, 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 I stand against it. I'm, I'm meaningless. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just can't uh, get who are you talking to? What button do you want them to press? This doesn't exist. Well, I mean, I, I think what it comes down to is like, uh, you know, like solidarity with Ukraine. We have to stand against Putin. But like, you, like I, I think what he's really getting at is that you got to be in favor of all the uh, the arms sales. too. That's what it all boils down yeah. to. Yes. Is that you have to you have to you have to if you are. It's like if you're imagining the left as anybody, uh, if you're in the Congress, that means you got to support the arms to Ukraine. You know, if you're just a person reading this and you don't have any power, well, then, you know, post about it in a positive way or whatever. You know, don't be out there trolling us with all of your Russian disinformatia that you got from a gray zone or whatever, Jimmy Dore. But one yeah. way or the other, yeah, you're like American foreign policy is what you're supporting here. Yeah, I mean, if Dust and Peter Beinart, uh, all those like former former front and center liberal Zionists, they were masters of not saying exactly what they meant, but like, you know, it's, it's very clear what liberal Zionism means. It's saying there is a certain amount of people, a certain amount of civilians that is acceptable for Israel to kill a certain amount of like interference in the politics and the institutions of its neighbors, whether it's assassinating Iranian scientists or whatever that is acceptable and you want to keep it a, a, around that line around around what your par is so you can go on a guilt-free mediterranean vacation that you'd say that without saying that and his same thing here is like well there's an acceptable level of u.s weapons that are, it's acceptable for them to fall in the hands of, of god knows who doing god knows what for god knows how long and we're because we're supporting it verbally the right way, we're going to make that we're going to make sure that doesn't happen just by virtue of us not wanting it to happen. But you need to join us. Well, yeah, let's, I serious. mean, like I I'm just like going to go into like the, the end of this piece. I just want to like highlight a few paragraphs. Um, it just says here uh, he writes uh, this solidarity has been hard to find in some of the statements from the Democratic Socialists of America. To be clear, the cherry picking of their statements by the White House's rapid response director and left punching and the left punching of floundering moderates is transparently cynical and opportunistic. Centering opposition to U.S. imperialism and militarism is an entirely appropriate starting point for any U.S. left organization, even if it's not the whole race. Hard questions need to be asked, especially now, about the goals and interests NATO actually serves. But we also need to ask hard questions about how our struggle against militarism works alongside our commitment to colleagues around the world who require more than just a call to stop the war. 
With that said, it's important to differentiate between the genuine anti-war, anti-imperialism of DSA and others in the American left and the pernicious authoritarian agitprop of the gray zone and the like. The right's goal is to divide the left and we should not help them. But the goal of building a stronger left is served by identifying, engaging and organizing with those genuinely acting on principles of solidarity, democracy and human rights and not wasting time with atrocity denying grifters and clickbaiting provocateurs. So, yeah, I guess he's going to Max Blumenthal again. Um, um, with this piece, here's a here's a little social experiment for you. Go up to any American voter or really like anybody. Just go up to anyone and ask them, like, what do you think about the authoritarian provocateurs at the gray zone? <laughs> that, that will that is more dangerous than the infamous farting in the hood prank. I will say <laughs> no one you you're it's hard to get someone involuntary committed, but that may do it for you. But like, you know, it, it just seems like there's a lot of like he's like I, just sort of like uh He's he's hopping from one sort of stool to the other just to like it's just I don't know. It's like these articles like this where like he's identified um, like the gray zone and people like them as sort of like, a you know, authoritarian agitprop. But he wants to make sure it's just one of these articles where he wants to make a point, but he wants to make sure to offend like as few people as possible. He wants to cover all his bases and, you know, let let people know that like, hey, like. Uh, it's it's wrong to cherry pick DSA statements, uh, but like also like they kind of screwed up, um, not demonstrating enough solidarity with uh, Ukraine, I guess. Well, that's how you know that this is written for bosses because it doesn't say anything. It's like, why would you say any of this? And it's like, because because it's not for you. <laughs> I'm demonstrating loyalty. Yeah, I'm there's no the, instruction. The, I will show you the acrobatics I'll go through to support your bullshit. There's no instruction you can go off of if you're DSA or even just a, a poster. It's like if I'm if I'm to break this down and give you the bullet points of your action items, uh, it's um, display proper solidarity. It's OK to don't worry. It's OK to center U.S. imperialism, but um, you have to display proper solidarity with our colleagues around the world. And does he mean like. The Ukrainian left policies or uh, parties, sorry, that Zelensky made illegal. Does he mean Zelensky himself? Is Zelensky like DSA's colleague? I mean, like going on here, I mean, like we can see more of this sort of like uh, like hopscotch going on here because he says it is right to be cautious about getting drawn into something bigger than we want. It is right to be concerned that the administration's rhetoric is to paraphrase one of the Reagan era military's recruiting films, increasingly writing checks that its policy can't cash. OK, so he's a Top Gun fan, too. Um, uh, here, as after 9-11, fear of overreaction is entirely appropriate. Our foreign, policy, our foreign policy apparatus is designed to stoke and then cash in on overreaction. And our job is not to simply allow Ukrainians to write U.S. policy. Americans, all of us, are now implicated in this war. If the American people are providing arms, as we are to the tune of tens of billions of dollars, then we have a reasonable interest in and reasonable expectation of influence on its outcome. The Biden administration has made clear the kind of outcome the U.S. is trying to produce, but also rightly made clear the limits of U.S. engagement and the overriding concern about avoiding nuclear escalation. One thing the left definitely should not do, nor anyone, is buy into the narrative that Russia's war on Ukraine has restored America's mission and purpose. That our country can seem to allocate money efficiently only towards weapons and little else should be a source of shame, not pride. Observing how easily tens of billions of dollars in aid to Ukraine were moving through our otherwise obstreperous and unproductive Congress, Adam Tooze summed it up. 
that they can agree on that and not on health care or climate change policy is a sign of America's own dysfunction. Oh, that twos. I'm shaking my fist oh. once again at Adam, at Adam the, two, the twos. Oh, no. No, I but mean, I mean, I, is, I agree he, with twos. He is in really that one to, he, He's really one to talk about crossing a line. What with how he's fucked all of our significant others. <laughs> uh, despite the enchantment of our political class, Russia's war on Ukraine is not a manic pixie dream conflict that will lift our country out of its legitimation crisis. If we allow this moment to be used simply to reassemble a broken war in Washington foreign policy consensus, we will not reverse that crisis. We'll deepen it. An influential, well-organized, and growing political left is essential to repairing this country, and that includes its foreign policy. The response to Russia's war in Ukraine is a key part of that. It is possible, indeed, it is essential to apply the historical awareness that Sontag urged and not be stupid together while acknowledging, well, well, sorry, while acknowledging that supporting the defense of Ukraine is the right thing for the global left to do, even if our, even if our own government is doing it. So, like, again, like, just try to, like, figure out, like, well, like, again, what does he want from the U.S. left here? I think what he, I mean, I think what he wants is just, like, okay, say all the reasonable things about the U.S. State Department and Pentagon and foreign policy and the fact that we can, you know, send $40 billion in weapons to Ukraine to fight a war that we have nothing to do with, like, or less, or a war that is not really in our, like, you know, direct national interest. Uh, we can do that overnight, but we can't give health care anyone. And by the way, Biden is also like uh, cutting school lunches and uh, raising uh, Medicaid uh, fees at the same time. But it's just like he just wants the right. I, I don't know. Like he, he just wants to do like uh, just just don't go too far. Don't go too far here. And don't don't legitimate Russian aggression, I suppose, which is like, yeah, like uh, <laughs> the DSA is a key factor in that, certainly. And the. Uh, uh, you know, and, and, and Russian uh, aggression or imperialism or whatever you want to call it. The DSA needs to privilege Ukrainians in the progressive stack. Yeah, it just, I don't, like, I don't know what can be done, right, beyond just, like, oh, I, like, I don't approve, obviously, of Russia's actions. I do not think it was the right thing to do. To invade, I don't think that our track record, however, give it does not give me any confidence about forty fucking billion dollars in weapons in in one allocation alone. I don't know what is what is wrong with that. And if there's nothing wrong with that, why write this article? Why? why yeah. Like, is there a groundswell of like gray zone teens out there? <laughs> I mean, like, like, like it is. It is again. Like Matt, Matt is right in that you have to read this as a hey, everyone. Uh, Bernie's going to die soon, and don't worry. Uh, I, Matt, Matt Sus from Among Us is normal. Um, <laughs> but if you if you're taking it as face value, which I guess he would want other people to do, since this is public or not, it's. I mean, I guess the only the only other way to read into this, right, is that. What's happening in Ukraine now at this moment is kind of exactly what, you know, not just us, but people like us generally, generally in our ideological space said where uh, we did not approve of the invasion or operation. But uh, we said, hey, uh, I don't think that Ukraine is going to win. And that is certainly not happening now. A lot of the worst case scenarios that uh, people talked about are happening where people are signing up to defend their hometowns, which is a completely fucking understandable thing. Uh, it, it is 
a brave decision that I don't know if a lot of Americans would take. And then immediately being sent to the front lines by Ukrainian higher command and dying pointlessly. Um, it, it's a very sad, fucked up conflict as we, I mean, even before the invasion, I, I recall us saying, uh, this would be a uniquely like old war one esque pointless, shitty stalemate. Uh, and it, kind of seems like it is and it kind of seems like any window for ukrainian victory or strategic victory is closing rapidly and that lives are pointlessly being lost but i i i guess if an article is written in the right way that changes that i just i i don't know i don't know what to tell the people i mean i do know what to tell the people because they're not they're not posting about it as enthusiastically as they were in march yeah. so maybe <laughs> yeah, we yeah. on their case well, uh, not paying attention <laughs> I mean, like it, it, it's it, it's it's a weird thing because it's like he he goes to such pains to kind of like establish his kind of uh, you know left wing foreign policy credentials, but like I think the entire piece of the article, the point of the article, is that like yeah, it is bad that the only thing our government can do is send forty million sort forty billion dollars in weapons to a fucking uh in in like an arms sales to Ukraine more or less you know instantly and do and do nothing else, but despite the fact that that is the case, like they should still send the $40 billion and, and no one should be, you know, like no one should be too mad about it. Yeah. Or you can lament the fact that like, Oh, it's a shame that like all we can do is just sell, sell weapons to foreign countries. But in this case, it's like uh, good that we're doing so, or at least not bad. I think that's basically the, the point of the, the point of the piece. Please don't say it's bad. No, you yeah. can say it's, re- you can say it's regrettable, but don't say that we shouldn't do it or that it's just like, a, it's a, we're being waste. forced. We're always forever. For always, uh, a democratic administration is always, they always do things because they had to. There's no other alternative. And that's how all of it has to be understood. It's like this tragic necessity, which really does like raise the question, well, what the hell do you need me for then? Well, I would like to ask Dus and all the people who slowly removed all the Ukraine stuff out of their profile in the last month. I mean, it really, it really, not to talk about myself here, but it really does seem as it inched closer to my birthday, the, the flag started going away, uh, fewer display names that were like Russian warship fuck off, fewer, fewer of those. Maybe it was just Felix Jubilee mania that uh, <laughs> dispelled those. But I, I, in the same way that those people would ask us, like, oh, do you think Ukraine, you think Ukrainians should just surrender? You think they should just like fucking give up and die? I would like to ask them now, you know, with mainstream articles stating the obvious that it's really not fucking going well for them, that there is no conceivable path, that these incredibly large weapons packages that they probably showed up a little too late to turn the tide. What do you want to happen now, given that there's no path? Do you think do you think they should do you think they should still try their hardest do you think like that they should sue for peace or are you still holding on to that that it's it's you're 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 being like todd aiken if you think that maybe that <laughs> some some diplomatic solution should be found i would like to know that and no one has really asked those people that in some instances the state department has a way of shutting that all down yeah <laughs> um i here here's I, w- I would like them to uh you know we're selling. We're giving them all the weapons. But I, here's one thing: I would like them to stop selling javelin missile systems on Etsy. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of messed up. Not a fan of that. 
Just um, dumping all those weapons in there and having no tracking system, wink, wink, for where they go. Well, speak, actually, uh, it was the Felix Diamond Jubilee uh, this month, but uh, just, just quickly, uh, did you guys check any of the, uh, the Queen's Jubilees over the weekend? Because they, they, they had a hologram rolling around in a carriage. So beautiful, isn't it? It's the third oldest surviving coach in the UK after the Speaker of the House of Commons and also the Lord Mayor of London's uh, coach. It's just so beautiful. As you said, it's been regilted so many times, it's probably just gold now, Alistair. And you love the Windsor Greys, the eight horses drawing the carriage, and it's many tons. It, it's medieval, it's fairy tale. This is the whole point of it, isn't it? It's something that is quite out of our ken. It's nothing to do with everyday life. This, this is something completely different. It's such a privilege to see it. To say that there were tears in my eyes at that masterclass will be a great understatement. Yeah, they uh, they turned her into Cortana. They brought out a so they have a special carriage, which I think is kind of cool. Like I I know I shouldn't say that, and I know like the popular thing online is like, oh, British people are are disgusting. British, I hate I hate England. Blah blah blah. Even though it's like, uh, Sean Moorhead put it really well when it's it's like when you're a kid and your cousin who could be presumably identified as your identical twin who is about 0.6% more fat and annoying than you when all you talk about is how much you hate him and find him annoying. That's how, that's why people, Americans talk about how much they hate the UK. Yes, absolutely. But, um, so they have a special gold carriage that they, I guess they bring out for special events. Uh, they, they bring it out when they've had a huge W and it hasn't been out since like 1975. And they put the they put a hologram of the queen when she was like twenty eight inside of it, which I think I think that's kind of sick. And I think I think we should have stuff like that. I feel like the president should have a special vehicle he gets to ride in when things go well. Like not not just like a like a heavily armored limousine, like something a little bit cooler than that, like a sort of a, I don't know, like a like a fan boat, jet like, hack. Yeah, jetpack, jetpack. Well, for Biden, I think like maybe something from his childhood, like a rickshaw, <laughs> like a gold rickshaw. <laughs> well, uh, I just uh, moving on from the Queen's Jubilee, uh, Felix. You were talking a little bit about um, uh, liberal Zionism and the liberal Zionists of yore, and where are they now? Um, I'd just like to take a second to uh, talk a little bit about this. Uh, New York Times uh, editorial board piece that was one of the most nauseating things I've ever read, uh, titled "Who Killed Who Killed Journalist Shireen Abu Akleh? Um And the fact that they're even asking that question is pretty fucking nauseating. They're just we we've got to get to the bottom of this. We've got yeah, to figure you, it out. If you remember, like the Khashoggi shit. I mean, line those two, line those up side by side. I um, mean, like so. It's just here. Uh, in her 25 years as a journalist for Al Jazeera, Shireen Abu Akla covered many clashes between Israelis and Palestinians. So, so, so when she went to the occupied West Bank city of Jenin in the early morning of May 11th to cover an Israeli army operation in a refugee camp, she took all the requisite precautions. She wore a helmet and blue body armor marked press in large letters. She stood near the entrance of the refugee camp with a group of other journalists in her presence, and her presence was immediately noticed. She was so well-known among Arabic-speaking audiences that a crowd gathered to watch her work. In the course of their reporting, however, the journalists came under fire. <clears throat> Ms. Abu Akla, an American citizen, was, was killed by a bullet to the head. 
Another journalist, Ali Samudi, who was also wearing a flak jacket marked press, was shot in the back and survived. More than three weeks have passed since Ms. Ms. Abu Akleh was killed. Yet, despite a surge of international outrage and calls by, among others, the U.S. State Department, Israeli human rights organizations, scholars and members of civil society for a thorough investigation of her death and of the allegations that she was killed because she was a journalist, no formal impartial outside inquiry has been started. The world still knows very little about who is responsible for her death. Ms. Abu Akleh's family, her colleagues, and all who care about freedom of the press as a pillar of democracy deserve far more. So, I mean, I'm just like... I'm just trying to imagine, like the the fucking like what what are the what are the fucking like the straight jackets that they have to wear at the New York Times editorial board to write a paragraph that says like we still don't know we still know very little about who killed her, because I mean like there are plenty of there's plenty of evidence and in fact the op-ed even mentions the the CNN report not exactly Al Jazeera that analyzed the video and said that she was not just killed by the Israelis but killed on purpose by the Israeli snipers. Yeah, it is. It is pretty insane. The New York Times, Israel, Palestine stuff, because it's like New York Times is obviously like an ideological organ, as is like any piece of the American press. Right. But they you can rely at least at least for cynical reasons, some degree of uh, fake impartiality and uh <sighs> kind of making making it look like everything's above board but when it comes to israel palestine it is like it's like reading david horowitz's blog it's fucking insane well i mean like the, the interesting thing about this this editorial is that i think i mean it lays out like fairly clearly um who killed her and the conditions that gave rise to it but like they they do everything but say the obvious like they, i mean it's like it's like it's like the person who wrote this art, like wrote this editorial or whoever commissioned it or whoever like whoever was involved in it. Like they all know the answer to this question and they give the reader like every piece of evidence that would be like required to draw the conclusion that everyone else has. But they just don't say it. And like they, 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 they still parse it in this. And like I said, like, oh, I guess we, did, we need an independent commission. But like, you know, an independent commission is like, oh, like that won't be seen as legitimate by the Israelis or the Palestinians. So like, for instance, listen to this. It says um, the early response to the killing has been alarming. Two days after her death, the results of two preliminary investigations were announced. The Palestinian Authority charged that Miss Abu Akla, 51, had been targeted by Israeli soldiers. The Israeli military, for its part, said there is always a risk of noncombatants being hit during an armed clash and said that the fatal shot may have come from an indiscriminate Palestinian gunfire or an Israeli sniper. On the day that she was shot, a spokesman for the Israeli military implied that journalists were legitimate targets. The Times of Israel reports that the spokesman told the army radio that Ms. Abu Akla was filming and working for a media outlet amidst armed Palestinians. They're armed with cameras, if you'll permit me to say so. So they're basically quoting the Israeli government as just saying, like, yeah, like journalists are legitimate targets. And we shot her because she was uh, with a, you know, a press organization that's hostile to the Israeli occupation. But then, like, it just says... It says, but Israelis should care more about what happened to Ms. Uh, Ms. Abu Akla. Democracies require a free press as a prerequisite for informed self-governments. Israel, Israel needs to ensure the safety of journalists in the country and in areas that it occupies to ensure the safety of its own democracy. Do you think they give a shit about what, like, what, 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 what is this ass covering here? They're, 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 they're telling you exactly what happened, but refusing to state the obvious. Yeah, it is, it is interesting, right? Because... When this happened, it seemed pre the playbook of people like the New York Times seemed pretty obvious, right? It's to obfuscate and create a fog of like, oh, well, 
this is consistent with uh, guns that Israel uses, but also the Palestinians could get those guns and like, you know, maybe it's blah, blah, blah. We don't know. We have to form a committee, but the, com- the committee might be disapproved by Israel, blah, blah, blah. That would make sense to do in like 2006. But now when Israel is just pretty much openly like, yeah, we killed her. We killed her. What are you going to do about it? You, you kind of wonder what the point of them even doing this is. Like I said, they referenced the CNN report where it says, it says here, CNN and other news organizations have begun their own investigations. After reviewing video footage, witnesses' accounts, and audio forensic analysis of the gunshots, CNN reported that evidence, suggests that, uh, evidence suggested that Abu Akleh was shot dead in a targeted attack by Israeli forces. The witnesses and videos, it said, provided new evidence that there was no active combat nor any Palestinian militants near Abu Akleh in the moments leading up to her death. I mean, okay, CNN did that. I mean, like, presumably the New York Times could do their own investigation into this and, and draw their own conclusions. But they're just like, okay, well, that's just what CNN says. Israel reacted sharply. In an address to the World Economic Forum in Davos on May 25th, President Isaac Herzog of Israel rejected the report, saying it was based on fake facts. So it's just, uh. it just like... It just goes on, and then it, it just it's the, it, the last graph of it says the best tribute to her life and work would be to make sure that her death does not vanish in the fog of hatred and recrimination, but serves to guarantee the safety of all journalists who seek to pierce that fog. So it's like they're saying they basically are saying that the, the Israeli military like intentionally assassinated this journalist, and the response to it is hope that doesn't happen again. Let's all dedicate ourselves to like, you know, supporting her legacy by making sure this doesn't happen again. But also, but like, um, yeah, <laughs> but but also don't make it disappear in a fog of hatred, which I, yeah. I guess I mean, if they're saying what I think they're saying, that is like one of the most repulsive things I've heard. I've heard a mainstream media organ say with regards to Israel and Palestine, just like <laughs> don't it's saying don't get too mad about this or you're just as bad as whoever killed her. You know, we yeah. don't know. Yeah, it's just the the fog of war, the fog of hatred. You know, like let's just uh, you know, like we we, can't, we yeah we exactly we can't we can't we can't we can't allow this like assassination of a journalist. Um, we can we you know let's let's not let's not get too mad at whoever did it, but let's just make sure who did it doesn't happen again. Well, yeah, it's harder. We need, we, and harder. We, yeah, yeah, we need to find out who did it, but like you know, uh, we we may never we may we may we may never find out. So like, let's just not. Let's just not let it devolve into another bitter round of recriminations. Well, I mean, it's harder than ever to establish uh, parody for kind of bullshit uh, objectivity in American media. It's harder to establish parody between Israel and Palestine. It always was kind of hard. You know, the difference between rocks and small arms and fucking tanks and uh, airstrikes. But it's especially hard now, given that the Israeli treatment of so many Palestinian populations is, I mean, it is like if the third Reich had modern technology, it is, they're doing everything you could to sort of beat down and cut down the birth rates of, and mentally eviscerate a hated population. Um, I, I, I guess the way that they find parody with that is it's twofold. It's like, the anti-Semitism stuff, which is like, I think serves the purpose of like, okay, well, if we're mentally obliterating Palestinians and trying to keep down their birth rates and literally, literally like neutering people and, and spraying them with chemicals and keeping them in an open air prison and doing everything we possibly can to make them feel like animals. Well, 
you're also doing that to me by, you know, othering me in spaces. Yeah, that's the parody (laughs) they can create there. But here, I I guess it's it's a new one, which is like we're doing all that. And we also just we just fucking gunned down this journalist in front of everyone. But if you if you if you if you don't stoop to our level, I guess. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. 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 No, I, it's, I, just, I, I yeah, feel like- it's just tough. It's tough. I mean, the New York Times' role here reminds me of like when a dog gets uh, spayed or neutered and they still hump things. You're shooting blanks. Your job isn't really needed here, but you're still doing the thing you remember you had to do. And I guess uh, to move on from this, I, I, I want to talk about this um, huge profile of uh, Diane Feinstein that's in uh, New York Magazine by uh, Rebecca Traster. It's, it's on the cover. It's called The Institutionalist. And God, like the, the cover photo. I mean, it's just like it's exactly like this Times op-ed in that like, you know, the, the author and the magazine New York, like they tell you everything that you need to know in terms of like, you know, what we all know that she's a senile bat who's like a, a huge impediment to like anything good happening ever. But like it's just the ways they go. They try to like avoid saying give you all of the evidence that would imply that, but avoid saying directly that to like. You know, like, you know, Rebecca Traster is like obviously very angry at Diane Feinstein, particularly over the Amy Coney Barrett um, confirmation. But, you know, like as kind of like, I guess, like Elizabeth Warren supporting feminist and progressive, like she recognizes that Feinstein like is just represents everything that's wrong with the Senate and um, is also like completely incapable of doing her job. But like the, the extent to which she tries to like massage that into a. I don't know a more a more acceptable uh, frame or or I, I don't know just like just do it just do it like the same with the Matt Dust thing. It's just like what do you want here? What do you actually want? Like you want us to not take the obvious conclusion that if this manifestly senile corrupt woman can just sit there in the Senate for fifty years, then this thing doesn't work. This party doesn't work. This thing, this structure that I'm supposed to trust you to work, like in the media or in the the Democratic Party cannot be made to do anything but create this. All right, here's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. So, like, in the piece, she, Traster writes, uh, Feinstein, who turns 89 in June, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> is older than any other sitting member of Congress. Her declining cognitive health has been the subject of recent reporting in both her hometown San Francisco Chronicle and the New York Times. It seems clear that Feinstein is mentally compromised, even if she's not all gone. It's definitely happening, said one person who works in California politics, and it's definitely not happening all the time. Reached by phone two days after 19 children were murdered in an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, in late May, Feinstein spoke in halting tones, sometimes trailing off mid-sentence or offering a non-sequitur before suddenly alighting upon the right string of words. She would forget a recently posed question or the date of a certain piece of legislation, but recall with perfect lucidity events from San Francisco in the 1960s. Nothing she said suggested a a deterioration beyond what would be normal for a person her age, but neither did it demonstrate any urgent engagement with the various crises facing the nation. Oh, we'll get it done. Trust me. She assured me in reference to meaningful gun reform. Every question I asked about the radicalization of the GOP, the end of Roe, the failures of Congress, was met with a similar sunny, sunny imperviousness, evincing an undiminished belief in institutional power that may in fact explain a lot about where Feinstein and other Democratic leaders have gone wrong. 
Some things take longer than others, and you can only do what you can do at a given time, she said. That doesn't mean you can't do it at another time. And so one of the things that you develop is a certain kind of memory for progress. When you can do something in terms of legislation and have a chance of getting it through, and when the odds are against it, meaning the votes and that kind of thing. So I'm very optimistic about the future of our country. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, hard not to be. But just that thing where she says, like, okay, so, like, she, she's saying, like, according to, like, you know, people in the know in California politics and anyone, even a casual observer, her cognitive decline is real and shocking. But then she also says nothing she said suggested a deterioration beyond what would be normal for a person her age. Like, why, like why that <laughs> qualifier? Like, it's just, or like, or okay, if, if that deterioration is normal for a person of her age, then no one her age should be serving in government. Yes, well, the, precisely. Yeah. Well, the, this is like a, the, I, I've seen uh, people like Traster fall back on this, where it's like, yes, Feinstein is a, demented old bat who um just one of these days she's gonna whip out like a hand crank camera and send a lewd to her boyfriend who's <laughs> fighting in the marine expeditionary force in 1917 in paris in outside paris uh because she has perfect memory of her childhood 180 years ago but uh you know why aren't you why aren't you also getting on uh chuck grassley and it's 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 People are. People are. They're always trying. It's the same thing with this bullshit parody where they're trying they're trying to find some equivalence. They're they're giving you the liberal thing of like, well, you know, of course, this thing is bad. But what about what about the other thing that's just as bad that I've decided you're not talking about right at this second? So you don't yeah. care about it. And it, uh, by the way, I mean, people make fun of Chuck Grassley all the time for being a fucking old bat. The man, the man's Twitter is hot fire. It's hot fudge. He can't stop going to Dairy Queen. <laughs> the man loves it. It, yeah. I mean, Diane Feinstein and Chuck Grassley. It's like when Junior Soprano wanders to that park bench. <laughs> Him and that old woman talking to each other. They both think it's the fifties. It's like, yeah, it's it's a it's a, a dysfunctional gerontocracy, and she's a, a fucking exemplar of it. That's it. Uh, here, here's another example uh, from the piece that uh, Tracer includes. Um, it says, says uh, it's talking about when she was working with um, to just, um, uh, the, the California Sentencing, the, the California Women's Parole and Sentencing Board. Uh, for six years, she had the power to determine sentence length for women who have, had been convicted of everything from public drunkenness to violent crimes. She took a reformist approach to criminal justice, calling for rehabilitation rather than long sentences in narcotics cases. Francois, who had become the first African-American to serve on the San Francisco Board of Supervisor, Supervisors, assigned her to advisory committee on local jails. She reported on the terrible state of the facilities, the inedible food, the overcrowding, the rampant vermin. As part of her work with the board, she found herself determining sentences for abortion providers. Although she would later strongly support abortion access and often told the story about how back at Stanford, classmates had passed a plate to pay for a student to travel to Tijuana to end a pregnancy in the early 60s. The procedure was still illegal in California. And as she would explain to Roberts, the cases in front of her were all illegal back alley abortionists. Many times the women they performed an abortion on suffered greatly. I really came to believe that the law is the law. Feinstein's memories of this time period remain sharp. Under the indeterminate sentence law, most sentences carried a low of maybe six months and a high of 10 years, she told me by phone. There was one case, her name was Anita Venza, 
and over and over she committed abortions on women. I said when we were sentencing her, Anita, why do you continue doing this? And she said, I feel so sorry for the women in this situation. When I pushed further, asking Feinstein what it felt like now to be on the verge of a future in which providers like Venza could once again be the sentence to prison, and which the law will once again be the law, she declined to fully acknowledge the chilling implications of the rollback on the near horizon, retreating instead behind an impenetrable platitudes. Well, one thing I have seen in my lifetime is that this country goes through different phases, she said. The institutions handling some of these issues have changed for the better. They've become more progressive, and I think that's important. Well, so she's I, saying, do, like, I, I do like that in her perfect recollection of the past, she is not doing anything you could describe as brave, uh, selfless, uh, really anything. She's um, not being a leader, as one might say. And, you know, like, I, so like, so like, like and, uh, you know, like abortion is an issue that, you know, Tracer is obviously very um, uh passionate about her cares and is very angry and frightened as you know we all are about like you know what what the supreme court is about to do but i, I just like this this weird back and forth that we see in all of these articles that we're talking about today it's just like it's it's back to an old cliche of ours it's like all of these people now on like the liberal media have to reckon with the reality that like they've gotten what they wanted and now mm -hmm. they have to find a way to be angry at the fact that Diane Feinstein is like fucking has her brains leaking out of her ears and talking about what a, a great friend she is with Lindsey Graham and how the Amy Coney Barrett fucking confirmation was like the highlight of her career. And that they're like that, that, that the, the leaders that they like they have fucking elevated and the party that they are fucking beholden to like this is this fucking this is the reality that, that, that this has produced. And now you're not happy with it. But you still have to massage the reality in such a way to be like, well, she's no more or less senile than any other 80 or 9 year old person <laughs> serving in the Senate. And that like, oh, it's yeah, it's disturbing to me that like, uh, you know, at one point in her career, she actually like literally sent abortion providers to prison. But hey, like that was the law. But like her response now that the law is that law is coming back is that like, well, the institutions that administer the law have gotten a lot more progressive. Like, what is she talking about? Police departments? Yeah, that, that Congress? is that is like designed to make you insane. It's that you can't even like have the thing that you could maybe have with RBG where it's like, oh, well, you know, she's old and, you know, she did something really selfish here. But uh, look at this past of supporting progressive causes. Diane Feinstein has never been anything except for a cog. And now she is a squeaky cog who no amount of oil will ever get her to stop talking about, uh, giving the man with the organ grinder and a pet monkey a nickel to sing a song. <laughs> uh, here's another example of the uh, of what I'm talking about. Uh, Tracer writes, if women changed the Senate's image, they did not always change its character. Political representation is a funny thing. The absence of women and minorities from governing institutions is ghoulish, but the seemingly obvious remedy, putting those people in power, can often involve new participants simply recapitulating the standards set by those who preceded them. When Feinstein started in the Senate, she enforced his dress code, which reflected her own pearl-wearing respectability. No pantsuits for female staffers. They had to wear skirts or dresses. But even as Senate rules relaxed, Feinstein kept her standards intact. As recently as 2017, it was reported that women in her office were required to wear stockings and skirts of a certain length. So, I mean, what a trail. Bro. It's it's a it's a little rich of uh, I mean, you know, you, I remember Tracer back in 2008 writing about Obama boys being mean to Hillary. 
And then, like, of course, in 2016 and 2020, she did the exact same thing to Bernie Sanders. And now she's come to find out that, like, oh, well, you know, I, I suppose just supporting any woman being in the Senate is not really, uh, in, in and of itself, a respectable political goal because it produces literally the same outcomes. But in the context of Tracer, the example she goes to is, like, the Senate dress code in Feinstein's office is that, like, her staffers can't wear pantsuits. Yeah. I remember, do you remember the thing that traced her when she first came after us all those years ago, six years ago? It was, it was a, the, the post-Hillary episode, and we were talking about um, the O'Bungler and Hillary people that ran the Hillary campaign, calling them sick, entitled freaks. And Tracer did, um, I mean, out of all the people that went after the, her or went after us that year, I would say she was the most skilled. She was like the John Wick that they sent after us. <laughs> And she said, "The Baba so Yaga." And, yeah, she was like sick and titled freaks. Oh, you mean the black women that voted for Hillary? <laughs> Which <laughs> hell of a move, Rebecca. But I mean, now, now she's gotten the worst thing you can get in American politics. If you remember the media, which is what you wanted. Yep. Which is winning, because that puts you in a real asshole position. And she is bending the ankles skating around the frozen pond of diane feinstein's career who it turns out has not even ever even done a superficial thing for women she is she's uh making her poor staffers wear poodle skirts <laughs> here's another interesting bit about um her her staff though uh is a, is a great detail i liked when a staff when a staffer left if feinstein liked them and they had served for a long time, she would give them prints of the still life she draws. If they were less special to her or had served briefly, she would give them a watch with her signature across its face. <laughs> I would rather have the watch, honestly. Yeah, it's always Diane time. That's going to be the new thing for rappers to have. The Migos are going to talk about <laughs> iced out Diane Feinstein AP. Um, Need my bitch to wear a dress. <laughs> Uh, just a little bit more from the article it says, uh, and, and like the, a lot of the article, a lot of the, a lot of the pieces is, is is Tracer, like you know, trying to press Feinstein and getting like woefully inadequate responses, like based on what she wants to hear. But again, it simply must be underscored here that like Feinstein is like like Tracer has gone to bat for people like Feinstein specifically, or just like you know. Hillary Clinton, Elizabeth Warren, this whole fucking rotten Democratic Party over and over again based on the grounds of, like, we need more women in leadership. And then again, listen to how disappointed she is with Feinstein's uh, fucking responses to her questions. When I suggest to Feinstein that the partisan hardening has been asymmetrical, that her Republican colleagues have grown more radical and rigid while she and many of her fellow Democratic leaders have been all too willing to compromise, she responded, well, yes, I think that's not inaccurate. I think it's an accurate statement. What did you first say about Democrats moving? I repeated that it was the right that had gotten more inflexible while the Democrats had been willing to cede more ground. I'm not sure, she responded, but it's different. There's no question about it. And I think there is much more party control. When I came to the Senate, we spoke out and we learned the hard way. We took action and it was clear what was happening with weapons in this country and still is. And in He's a way, the weapon... <laughs> In a way, the weapon issue was a good one because we were able to pass the first bill. When was it, Tom? Mincer reminded her that the assault weapons ban was passed in 1994. When I asked her about her statement, stated commitment to centrism as a reaction to the tumult of her early political life, she began speaking unprompted about Dan White, clearly still appalled by his violent transgressions against the respectability politics that have helped her navigate the world. 
And that's a what that's a funny way of describing what Dan White did. A violent transgression yeah. against respectability of politics. What? Yeah. <laughs> he assassinated the mayor of San Francisco and Harvey Milk. <laughs> what the fuck? Look, I, I, he's a little rude. I, I, I do want to say I love uh Tracer. I mean, we, we talked about her at the height of her powers, but now she is like uh it's like when they uh cut to Goku and he's been on the couch for about three years. No more zero G <laughs> training for her. She cannot. She can't even pin down this old bat. Like she's she's trying to get something. She's trying to nail her, like Isaac uh, Devore style. That that guy, the uh, liberal guy who always nails people. In oh, interviews. Isaac Shonatier. Oh, I'm getting. Oh, I'm getting. Edward, Edward, Edward Isaac Devore is another guy with like a serial killer name. Yeah. Too many. Too many Isaacs. Um, but uh, yeah, she's trying to pin her down and like get something here. Get. She wants people to like screenshot this and be like, wow. I hope I never make Rebecca Tracer mad, you know, uh, it's the bullshit thing fucking losers do when one of them writes an article, but she can't, she's just being soundly outmaneuvered by, by this woman who clearly thinks that it is 1933 clearly thinks that she is like about to go see Wendell Wilkie speak in a segregated <laughs> ice cream parlor. Like it's fucking insane. She really sucks now. Rebecca really sucks. And this made me think of another thing that's funny. Um, do you remember the, um, when the Weinstein article, the first one broke in the New York times? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I remember the day that happened and it was clear that like Hollywood was going to sell out Weinstein to, to keep doing their shit. Um, and Rebecca Traster posted a story where she's like, oh, well, one day uh, Harvey Weinstein threatened me not to tell a story. And I didn't. But now look at him. And all these fucking losers were like, oh, don't get Rebecca Traster mad. She'll uh, get She'll like by you and, 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 and fold and wait for someone else to take you out. Uh, I just got to I got to I got to get to the, the rest of what uh, Diane Feinstein said, because like, OK, keep in mind, she's being asked about this sort of like, you know, I think we talked about it last week, this kind of um, a strategic imbalance between um, partisanship and uh, uh, political extremism as it regards the Republican and Democratic parties. And she has this like baffling response where she brings up Dan White. As her, <laughs> she, is this how she describes him? A former young, handsome police officer who goes in and kills the mayor, she said. It was the kind of incident that should grab the government's notice and compel it to try to fix those things which are wrong. But the ultimate lesson she derived from the response to Milk's murder possesses an almost Olympian complacency. I think one great thing about democracy is that there's always flexibility. Newcomers can win and play a role. And it's a much more open political society that I see than I hear of in many other countries. That is like that. She, so like her brain starts to remembering um, when her good friend, the mayor, uh, was assassinated by uh, former San Francisco City Council member Dan White and Harvey Milk as well. And she like apparently the article also talks about it. She was the first person to discover Harvey Milk's body. She tried to check his pulse and like her put her thumb immediately into a bullet hole in his wrist. Like, you know, pretty, pretty scary, traumatic stuff. But she she calls the guy who killed her like these two people, a handsome young police officer. And the lesson is. You know, the lesson is that, like, you know, uh, newcomers can all always just come in and, and change politics. She's <laughs> like, yeah. she saying that about, like, Sirhan Sirhan or whatever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she says uh, it, it, it possesses an almost Olympian complacency. 
I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I could, I mean, like, that's a very good fucking, that's a very accurate fucking description of uh, Traster and everyone like her uh, who, who, you know, like I tried to move heaven and earth to make Hillary Clinton president twice and failed. And in the process, rat fucked like the, the, the one conceivable alternative that again, like would have had the politics that these people all claim to fucking loudly champion. And they're like, oh, like, you know, why can't we get healthcare done? Why, you know, why is Dianne Feinstein like an, an obstacle to like any progressive change in the Senate? Oh, like, how did that happen? Arr. All these old creatures that I'm interviewing, it's like they're acting like an entire media uh, enabled them and hid their declining brains and lack of will to do anything and antagonism towards all voters. It's like someone did that. It's really crazy, isn't it? So it's just uh, going ahead here um, from her. You, this is just the end of the article. From her youth, Feinstein has been an institutionalist. With an institutionalist's respect for structure, management, and hierarchy as a means to manage the rabble of activism and protest, she seems unable to appreciate the possibility that partisan insurgents have overrun those institutions themselves. The crowds who came through the door with battering rams on January 2020 looking to kill a vice president surely had chilling echoes for Feinstein. But days later, in the name of the Senate, she was defending Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, a man who had offered up uh, a sign of solidarity to the insurrectionists in their attempts to delegitimize the election of Joe Biden. I think the Senate is a place of freedom, she told reporters, and people come here to speak their piece, and they do, and they provide a lot of kind of leadership. In some cases, it's positive. In some cases, maybe not. A lot of that depends on who's looking and what party they are. (laughs) She sounds like uh, Mikey Miles when he talks about applying for a job. Just a level 89 out there. Just a kid from California. But the fact that many of her colleagues on their best days are less acute than Feinstein on her worst is exactly the kind of dismal, institutionally warped logic that has left left us governed by eldercrats who will not live long enough to have to deal with the consequences of their failures. Feinstein's defenders argue that there is something gendered about focusing on her overextended tenure, especially when the history of the Senate includes Strom Thurmond, who retired at 100 and was basically not sentient by the end. Chuck Grassley and Patrick Leahy and Mitch McConnell are all in their 80s. Joe Biden first got to the Senate in 1973, and he's the president of the United States. But being no worse than Strom Thurmond was not the standard to which we were supposed to aspire at this juncture. Well, guess what? It's what you got, and it's what you're doing right now. So make your peace with it and uh, just, you know, keep, you know, make your peace with it and defend Dianne Feinstein being in the Senate. It's what you got. This Ikea bed, uh, it just, every time I lay down in it, it's stabbing me. Really sucks. I don't know who did this. And while it may indeed be feminist heresy to expect more, more from women, in fairness, some of those women told us to expect more from them. They were the ones who cast their own elections as the dawn of a new era. They were the ones who argued that every generation does better than the one before. Indeed, what, we, what may be producing the anger at this generation of Democrats is not just ageism, sexism, or the correct apprehension that America's governing structures incentivize officials to hold on to power sometimes until they literally die. It is also the smug assuredness with which Democratic leaders in whatever state of infirmity can still confidently in the summer of 2022 tell us to trust them and see themselves as bulwarks against the ruin that is so evidently our present and near future. I mean, couldn't have said it better myself, Rebecca. So yeah, that's basically the that's where Rebecca leaves leaves the piece. 
But again, well, it's just like uh, it's just could someone have also could someone else have written this piece? I don't know. I'm going to be looking later today to see if people are like doing that thing where they they talk about what a great article this is just to kind of make myself nauseous. I mean, I guess the theme for today's show in every one of these articles we talked about is just like it's just like the the flat and appalling truth staring everyone in the face. But then like the people whose job it is to like feel bad about that and demand that we do better. Um, just ignoring like the single most obvious conclusion with all of them. Mm hmm. Because it's just like, okay, like, just just say straight out that she's too fucking batty to be in the Senate. She should get out immediately. She should be voted out or removed from office entirely. Ugh, yeah. Well, so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, what do you think? Is that it for today's show? Yeah, sounds like it. Sounds about right. Okay, yeah. till next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.